It's good to see you at church. Welcome. Um, I'm Jim. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's okay with you, I'm going to just dive straight into our subject today, which is God cares about politics. What could possibly go wrong? Here we go. Isn't it great to um, just be able to sing? Um, I'm going to sing a little louder in the middle of the storm, in the midst of a subject like politics at the moment. We're going to declare that we're going to praise him in the middle of uncertainty, um, politically, nationally. Um, it's good to declare songs like that, whether it's a personal storm that we're going in or a national storm. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Amen. Firstly, let me um, just say this. I don't assume um, that everyone sat here today is a follower of Jesus. I don't assume everyone that comes to church has made a decision to be a Christian. And maybe you're here today and you're wondering, does faith in a higher being, in God, or faith in Jesus Christ have anything to say into our nation at the moment and the political sphere that we're in? Well, um, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to church. It's great that you're here. And I really hope to explain why we believe God cares about politics and how nations are governed, and also how I believe we should engage or position ourselves as Christians um, within the political sphere. Let me also just say this. I don't know if you've noticed. We've gone very color neutral with the lights this morning. I don't know if you noticed. They have been blue before, um, or reds, or yellow, and there was a discussion and we didn't want to feel like anyone thought we'd been subliminal in our messages by the color of stage lighting, so we've gone white this morning. Um, we did wonder if we could have like blue, red, yellow, green, but then we wouldn't have one for purple, so we decided just to go white, just because we didn't want you to think there's any subliminal messages going on this morning. Um, I did also just consider for a moment, um, just for humor's sake more than anything, whether I should kind of do an exercise and get you all moving this morning just to show the kind of political opinion in the room. I wondered whether I should get everyone on their feet and remainers to the right and leavers to the left, or maybe that should be remainers to the left and leavers to the right. I'm not sure. Um, but I thought maybe that wouldn't be helpful, actually, to do that this morning. And there lies the issue, actually. There lies the issue, is that within this room, there is huge different opinions and convictions when it comes to politics. Within this room, there are very strong convictions. Um, we have people that would have voted this way and that way, and there would have been very strong reasons and convictions for doing that, and have completely opposing views on the issues of politics and parties and policies and Brexit. And that's just within this room, a kind of microcosm of our culture. Um, and that's kind of evidently clear in our nation, isn't it? That there's massive division of opinion at the moment. And very strong opinion in our nation at the moment. The uh, subject of politics is currently characterized by division, um, hostility, uncertainty, and let's be honest, some degree of chaos at the moment. And let me just tell you straight away, I'm not going to tell you whether I voted leave or remain, and I'm... Um, not going to tell anyone who I think you should vote for. I'm not going to declare the King's Church Mid-Sussex political position. Um, we don't have one other than this. Jesus Christ is Lord, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> he lives and he reigns on high. 
He's seated on a throne. He's not going to be voted out. He's not going to be overthrown. He is seated on an eternal throne. Jesus Christ is Lord. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's our position. He is Lord. But we do need to ask some questions. I'm certainly not going to be as daft as to speculate about what side I think God supports. The Bible clearly says there is one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And we need to be very careful when assuming that God's on our side when it comes to politics. And we'll talk a bit about that this morning. So are you ready? This is going to be fun. (laughs) I believe God cares about politics. Psalm 24, verse 1. Uh, We made reference to this early on in this God Cares series. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in the world is the Lord's, including all the people who live in the world. And therefore, how nations are governed, I believe, matters to God. We are looking after his stuff after all. Right at the start of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, um, we read how God created men and women um, in his image and gave them authority to rule over creation. So if you Turn to Genesis chapter 1. We read in verse 27 and 28. You may want to follow me if you have a Bible with you. If not, the verses will be on the screen. Genesis 1 says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. There's two hugely important things that we read in these verses. Firstly, humanity is made in the image of God. So every person, every single person, has intrinsic value and dignity and worth because they are made in the image of God and all people are actually equal before God. Therefore, how people are treated and how people are cared for, and how people are led, and how people are governed, and how people are educated. These things matter to God, because every human person is made in his image with intrinsic value and worth. These things matter to God in the world where the riches continue to become richer, and the poorer continue to become poorer, because everyone in God's eyes is equal. God cares about politics, because ultimately politics is about people. In 1936, a guy called Harold Laswell wrote a book about politics, and he called it Politics, Who Gets What, When, How. I haven't actually read the book, but that title is a very helpful definition of what politics is all about. Who gets what, when, how. It links into what Natalie Williams was speaking about so brilliantly last week about justice. Who gets what, when, and how. It's a helpful definition in some ways. So in Genesis 1, we see that every human being is made in the image of God and therefore has worth and value. So how they're governed and led matters, really matters. Secondly, we see in these verses that God gave a mandate to humans, to men and women, to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to have dominion over creation. That word dominion means stewardship. It means he gave them responsibility to govern and care for this planet. And that means there's all kinds of implications under that kind of authority given by God to humanity to care for and govern creation. That's why we looked at the subject a couple of weeks ago about the planet and God caring for the planet. 
But if God has entrusted to us how we care for his creation, how we care for the land, that's going to impact planning decisions and processes, and it impacts sustainability, and it impacts farming policies, because they're all political decisions, but they're all actually stewardship decisions as well. And God's entrusted to us how we care for resources in creation. So food management matters, and care for the oceans matters, and economic policies that recognize the equality of all matter. And God has made all people in his image, which means he cares about all the nations of the earth, and therefore foreign policy and international relations matter. God cares about politics. God cares about politics because he cares about people. God cares about politics because God cares about justice. God cares about politics because God cares about truth. God cares about politics because he cares about fair economic structures. God cares about politics because he cares about poverty and how a society cares for those on the margins, the vulnerable and the oppressed. And maybe I should say this near the beginning of my talk. I believe God hates lies, mistruth, selfish ambition, hypocrisy, injustice, spin, slander and exploitation. I believe he hates those things. God cares about politics. In the Bible, we read extraordinary stories of ordinary men and women who make a difference in the political realm, whether it's Daniel working in a senior position in Babylon, or whether it's Esther in the courts of the king to save a nation, or whether it's um, Joseph becoming the prime minister of Egypt, or Nehemiah, who had an important role in the king's courts. Time and time again, we see God using men and women, not just in temples and churches and places of worship, but in courts of power and authority for his purposes. And church history will also point us to that as well. People like William Wilberforce and the Lauda Equiano, who campaigned for the abolition of slavery, or Elizabeth Fry, who brought around amazing prison reforms in our nation. God's called in people, has done, and is still calling Christians to engage in the political sphere. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe there may be people here who today feel a call from God to engage in the political sphere for his purposes in history and in the nations of the earth. God cares about politics. But let's just reflect a moment on the current political environment that's going on in our nation. And not actually it's unique to our nation. In many nations, actually, there is something going on. It's not just unique to the UK, but obviously that's what we're thinking about at the moment it's a very hostile political environment, isn't it? A very uncertain one. There's an American author, political theologian um, called Jim Wallace, who describes our current political world as a polarized, paralyzed, and increasingly poisonous political environment. Polarized, paralyzed, and poisonous. And I guess we get a sense of that as we observe what's happening. Um, it feels like we're paralyzed, doesn't it? We've been in gridlock over the Brexit issue forever, and Again, on Saturday, the MPs have been called to Parliament for another sitting to try and resolve the Brexit issue with, what was it, 18 days to go before the deadline. It feels paralyzed. Also feels polarized. It feels like we're as far apart politically, maybe as a nation, as we have been. And certainly it's poisonous. Name calling and language of fear and hatred. And so I agree with Jim Wallace in those things. It's not just that our parliament can't seem to find a way forward. I wonder in the political sphere 
whether um, it feels like we've lost our ability to disagree well and to respect one another's opinions that enter into meaningful dialogue. Have we lost our ability to hear one another? Have we lost our civility in that, where debate just becomes harsh or dismissive? Now, there are a number of things that contribute to that. One is when you have a referendum that's binary, it's either yes or no, and there's no middle ground, inevitably that's going to cause division. Inevitably that's going to cause very strong opinions because it's this or it's that. Um, I was talking to Sam this week, who manages our coffee house. He was saying he was listening to a radio call-in show, talking about politics, talking about the division in our nation, and saying, where do we see division beyond Westminster? And he said, people are calling in saying, this has ripped my family apart. Um, people are calling in saying, my marriage ended over this. People are saying there's been polarization in our community because of this. It's not just the benches of Westminster where there's division. It's actually cracked through the whole of our nation, impacting society at many different levels. Throw into that the influence of social media, where it seems that people see seem very happy to say things on social media that they may not say if the person was standing in front of them. And there's just a language of fear or blame or hostility that comes, and it feels like we can't even disagree well anymore, because if you disagree with me, it's interpreted as a personal attack. If you don't agree with me, it must mean you hate me. That seems to be like the climate of social media, and that can spill into the political realm as well. We've lost the art of dialogue, I believe, and when the kind of languages of fear or blame or when we even descend into childish name-calling, we kind of feel like we've lost the ability to hear one another. And when we lose the ability to hear one another, what happens is this. We become ever more entrenched in our position and ever less willing to engage in meaningful dialogue and debate. And as Christians, we need to reflect on this. We need to reflect on the way we engage with the political debate in that climate and ask whether we are echoing what's happening in the nation or whether we're reflecting the kingdom of Jesus who offers a very alternative way. We need to reflect on his words that say, blessed are the peacemakers in a nation that's divided. What does that mean for the church right now? Blessed are the peacemakers. As people that follow Jesus, who is the truth, it means how do we engage with the online debate or the public debate, and how do we filter the spin and speculation um, and hyperbole that our news reports seem to want to cover. The church should not reflect the political and cultural division of the nation. It must engage in a way that's Christ-like and reflects the values of the kingdom, peace, righteousness, servanthood, self-control kindness. So, this is what, that's all by way of introduction. I want us to look at this subject using four key words this morning, and the four key words are this, prayer, humility, kingdom, and cross. I'm going to spend a little time just looking at each one of those four words about how we as Christians might engage in the political climate that we're in. So firstly, I believe we need to engage in the political sphere prayerfully. If you want to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, that will be excellent. Paul writes to his friend Timothy, and in chapter 2 he says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, 
intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul writes to Timothy and says, First of all, first of all, I urge you to pray. Offer up prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving for all people, and then he lists who he's talking about, kings and all those in authority. And there's a reason why this is so important, Paul says, is so that we may live peaceful lives in godliness and holiness. And he goes on to say, when you do this, this pleases God. Pray for those in authority. It leads to lives that are filled with godliness and holiness, and it pleases God. So I guess the question is this, and trust me, church, I feel the pinch of this question very acutely. I am deeply challenged by this. Do I spend as much time praying for those in authority as I do talking about them, critiquing them, criticizing them, or tweeting about them? If this is the first of all of Paul, do I offer up prayers with thanksgiving? Do I simply criticize them? It's a challenge, isn't it? How much time do we spend praying for those in authority? Even as a church, we felt that. Actually, how much time do we spend praying for those in authority in our nation? How do I speak about those in authority in our nation? In the book of James, James says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's a challenge, isn't it, about how we speak about those in authority and how much we pray for those in authority. And like I said, I am deeply challenged by this. There's clear biblical instruction to pray for those in authority, for their wisdom, for their hearts, for them to be led by God. And note, this isn't conditional. It doesn't say, pray for those who you voted for. Pray for those who you agree with. Pray for those who you like. So pray for those in authority. And who, who's in authority here? When Paul's writing to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, the Roman Empire's in authority. Most brutal regime, <laughs> maybe in history. And Paul says, no, no, pray. We need to pray for those in authority. So we're called to pray, even when we don't agree with their policies or practices. We pray, ultimately, because we know all leaders all kingdoms, all governments, all authorities are ultimately accountable to a higher authority, God himself. And we pray with that confidence. So we should engage currently with politics prayerfully. And actually before the end of our meeting, we are going to pray for our government. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to do that together. Secondly, I believe we need to engage with the political sphere with humility. When it comes um, to conversations about politics, it can be all too easy to assume, I am right, you are wrong. Or maybe even more emotive, I am right, you are stupid. <laughs> For believing something different than me. And we laugh, but that is actually some of the rhetoric of our day. We need to be careful. We need humility in what we say how we say it is not that we don't get involved in political comment or dialogue but how we go about it really matters 
And again, I need to hear this. It would appear politics, maybe more than any other subject, can lead us to speak with absolute certainty that I am right. And if you disagree with me, you are fundamentally wrong. And it requires humility to respect and recognize there are different perspectives. And to acknowledge that my personal political convictions may not be the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth. There may be some things that I've got wrong or I need to learn. The reality is, guys, there are Christians who serve in the Conservative Party, and there are Christians that serve in the Labour Party, and there are Christians that serve in the Liberal Democrat Party, and other parties too. And I'd imagine they're all doing so out of a deep conviction and desire to serve God and make a difference. And they felt in God that is the best place for them to do so. And there are many Christians, including people in our church, who work as civil servants working in government departments to implement and develop policy who will serve whatever government is in power, and they want to make our nation a fair and just and safe place to live. And I think it's brilliant that we have Christians across the parliamentary sector. I think it's fantastic that we have people in the civil service, and I believe God is calling people to bring his kingdom in all areas of political life. And I love the fact that Christian MPs from across different parties, even though they have very strong, differing political convictions, are gathering together regularly to pray. That's fantastic. Saying what unites us in Christ is greater than our political convictions. So we're going to gather and pray together. And it actually sets us a model for how we should engage with humility, putting Jesus first. In this room, there are lifelong Tories and diehard Labour supporters and everything in between. There are Remainers, Leavers, Undersiders, and we need to, re- need to think, am I going to engage with humility putting Jesus first, or am I going to allow my political convictions to trump everything else? That was not me. I didn't mean to say trump, just <laughs> to be clear. It's not in my notes. Do you know, when Jesus chose his disciples, he chose a guy called Simon, who is a zealot, a political revolutionary against Rome, and he chose Matthew, who is a tax collector who raised taxes for Rome. They were diametrically, politically opposed, and Jesus says, yeah, come follow me, because what's most important is that we follow Jesus, and therefore we need to engage with humility, recognizing there are people in this room who have a different view than you, but what unites us, Jesus Christ is Lord. Humility is needed. Because of this, I think we need to be very careful when we begin to ascribe God's blessing or preference or favor upon one particular party or position over another. If we begin to do that, may I suggest with humility we are acting beyond our pay grade. God is above all and in all and through all. Kingdoms come, kingdoms go. Governments come, governments go. Political parties come, political parties go. God remains above all of it. There's not one political party that fully reflects the kingdom of God, and we should be careful when we act and behave as if there is. There isn't. They're all human institutions. Abraham Lincoln, the American president during the Civil War in the 1860s was once asked whether he thought God was on the side of the North. And he answered, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. And as Christians, that should be our primary concern. Jim Wallace, this American writer, says, when people and groups are sure they are right, they want to confidently say that God agrees with them. 
The much harder task and the more important one is to ask how to be on God's side. So claiming God's special blessing on my particular party or group or class or race or even nation is, I would say, a very dangerous example of saying God is on my side in this current climate. Yeah, conservative political policy might emphasize personal responsibility. A more liberal political policy might emphasize social responsibility. Guess what the Bible says? You need to have personal responsibility and you need to have social responsibility. You need to think about how you're living and you need to care for your neighbor. Both of those things are true. Not one party has all truth and so we engage with humility, listening, learning, serving, And I really do believe Christians have a wonderful gift to bring to the public square. I really believe that. But we do so with humility, recognizing we don't see the whole picture, but we know the one that does. We engage with it with humility, thinking, well, I might not have all the answers. I might not be right on everything. And if I know that, and if I know that this person who has a different view might not have all the answers, it's going to lead to much healthier dialogue and discussion and constructive relationships when we recognize that. So I'm going to be really practical here. It means for those of us who use social media, we need to be careful about what we write and comment on and how we write and comment on things when it comes to politics. There are other people who love Jesus who have a very different view than you, even in the church. And so actually, is my comment bringing division or is it bringing reconciliation? Is it demonstrating humility or am I just echoing the culture and climate of the world in which we live? Do our social media posts or comments fuel the division and hostility that we see in the world, or are they offering marks of another kingdom? What does our tone and our language and the content of what we say demonstrate about our belief that Jesus Christ is Lord? It's not that we don't engage, I'm just saying, let's be careful about how we engage with this. I believe we need to engage with humility. Thirdly, we need to engage with politics by seeking first the kingdom of God. When Jesus began to teach, he was announcing a new kingdom had come in and through him. That was his primary message. The kingdom of God has come through me. He was announcing a a new way of living which was in complete contrast to all the political and religious kingdoms of the world. And Jesus taught us to pray for his kingdom to come. Steve beautifully prayed that out this morning, for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And he instructed us to seek first his kingdom above all things. The kingdom of God is not the same as the world's political systems. We need to be clear on that. We want to see the kingdom of God come in those places, but they're not the same thing. The kingdom of God is a very clear alternative to the kingdoms of this world. And as Christians, our first allegiance... Our primary allegiance is to King Jesus and his kingdom. That is wholeheartedly what the Bible says. We want to see his kingdom come, his rule and reign come across all nations, races, cultures, ages, and political parties. So yes, I believe God calls us to engage in politics in the public square and across political parties, but how we engage in those things must first of all reflect the kingdom of God because we're to seek his kingdom first and pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. The choices we make when it comes to voting should not be driven by self-interest, but should be driven by the kingdom of God, the values of that kingdom. God's kingdom is marked by servant leadership, putting others' interests above your own. What might that look like in the public sphere? God's 
Kingdom is marked by a command to love your neighbor, even those who are different than you, or even your enemies. What difference would that idea right now make in our current divided nation? One author said that this instruction to love your neighbor as yourself is still the most transformational social ethic the world has ever seen. God's kingdom prioritizes the poor, the orphan, the widow. What would that look like in a world where the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer? God's kingdom is marked by peace, not hostility, truth, not spin, justice, not exploitation, servant leadership, not selfish ambition, a concern for others, not a concern for elf. Elf? Not a concern for elf. Or concern for self. How can we as Christians live in such a way that we see that kingdom come on earth and within the political sphere? The central teaching of the kingdom of God confronts any ideology that puts me first or my own interests first. The kingdom of God does not allow me to focus on my concerns, my rights, my freedoms, my interests, or even my tribe. It causes me to look up and see a much bigger vision of what God is wanting to do in human history. What we need is the kingdom of God to come in every sphere, in every political party, in every seat of power. It's kingdom first before anything else. I wonder, could it be that we've got so tangled up in the nation's debate and angst over Brexit, so determined to be proven right, so concerned by whether our side will win, that we've forgotten what really matters. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. So as Christians, before we pledge any allegiance to any group or culture or political party or even nation state or even to any church, actually, we pledge allegiance to King Jesus and his kingdom first. Living and praying for his kingdom to come on earth. Jesus says his kingdom was not of this world. The Bible says we have dual citizenship. The Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. Paul, who grew up as a devout Jew and was also a Roman citizen, says, no, primarily I'm a citizen of heaven. That's what comes first, before anything else. Which means if you're a Christian today, you're a Christian before you are anything else. I'm a Sussex boy, born and bred. Grew up in the UK, but I'm a citizen of heaven first, before anything else. I'm a, I'm a citizen of that kingdom before anything else. I'm a Christian before I'm a member of the Green Party or the Labour Party or I told you I wouldn't tell you. A Christian first. Follower of Jesus first. I'm a Christian before I'm British or Scottish or Kenyan or Chinese or whatever it may be. I belong to a new kingdom, a new family from every tribe, nation and tongue. And my primary concern is to pray for more of God's kingdom to come in this nation and in all nations. Because that's the call of God. Matthew 28, the Great Commission clearly says it's our job to disciple all nations, not to only be interested in what happens in this nation. Jesus said we're called to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, which means we live with a kingdom perspective about the world. So what if we as Christians really thought of ourselves as Christians first and all other identities second? Again, I will say this because I think it's important why I think we need to be so careful about how we enter into the debate and what we write on social media about the tone of our words. It's not that we shouldn't engage with it, but before you post something, just ask some questions. Do these comments reflect the kingdom of God? 
Will they lead people to want to know more about Jesus? Does this comment seek God's kingdom first and demonstrate my love for God and for others, even those that disagree with me? What am I hoping to achieve by saying this? Will my comments encourage another brother and sister in Christ to want to build a meaningful Jesus-centered friendship with me? Or will this comment alienate them, isolate them, or cause them to want to avoid me or argue with me? The Bible clearly says we are called to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit, which means we need to be careful about what we say and how we say it, because it's making every effort to keep united. This matters because we're called to live according to his kingdom first and not conform to the patterns of the world. So we've looked at prayer, looked at humility, looked at the kingdom. Are you still with me, church? One more. Going to look at this through the lens of the cross. Let's turn to Colossians 1. I'm going to read a few verses about Jesus. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Wow. He is the firstborn over all creation. Listen to this. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, and he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, in everything, he might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So we we live in a time of division, uncertainty, fear, hostility. And then we read these verses that speak of a saviour and a plan that God has to bring all things under the lordship of Jesus Christ and to bring reconciliation to all things through his blood shed on the cross. We have to look at what's happened in our nation's history through the lens of biblical history and through the cross. Look what the Bible says. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, are making peace through his blood. So in a time of division, what can bring reconciliation? Ultimately, what is the answer for a divided nation, a divided world? Jesus Christ. Because true reconciliation can only come through an understanding of what happened at the cross. Reconciliation between enemies can only happen through the cross. And it starts with reconciliation with God. We need to be reconciled with God. That's possible because Jesus died. He laid down his life. It means it's possible for there to be genuine reconciliation with God. And when there's genuine reconciliation with God, we recognize we're all equal and in need of God. And so it makes genuine reconciliation with one another much easier because we realize we're all the same and we all need God. In a divided nation, we need to understand the cross. Broken systems genuinely can't fix themselves. It's... If it's left to ourselves, we struggle to reconcile things. We need someone from outside to help bring reconciliation and a new way forward. That's what happened when Jesus came 2,000 years ago and announced there was a new kingdom coming, a new kingdom that would outlast all kingdoms. 
The cross stands in history, it stands alone as the one place where true peace and reconciliation can be found with God and with one another. The cross stands at the center of history because it is the only place that makes reconciliation with God possible and therefore reconciliation with one another. You are likely today to be sitting within 10 feet of someone who has a completely polar opposite view on you when it comes to politics. And without care, that difference could become division. It may even be you need to be reconciled to someone here today and through the cross that's possible. But we are sat here today not united by political ideology, praise the Lord, or by a referendum. We are united by the cross of Jesus Christ. We have one message, Jesus Christ is Lord, him and him alone. That's why we're here in the room. It's cross-centered worldview on what's happening in our nation. It's of primary importance that we understand this. God's plan is to reconcile all things through his son. And look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. 18 to 19, all this is from God, talking about the gospel, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God has given his church a message, and it's a message of reconciliation. Oh my goodness, what an opportunity the church has in our nation at the moment. To live as ministers of reconciliation, that's what we've been called to do. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that build bridges. Blessed are those that bring reconciliation. So we need to ask ourselves, are we going to echo the nation's angst and hostility and division, or are we going to be ministers of reconciliation? And it starts with the little steps we make. So we enter into dialogue with someone who has a different view and say, what can I learn from you? There's a tone and a humility in which we engage with the public sphere, and we do need to engage with the public sphere. There's a way that's seeking to bring the reconciliation of Jesus, not to ensure everyone knows that I'm right and you are wrong. You can make the first move in reconciliation by speaking to someone who has a different view than you and say, let's chat. I'd love to hear your perspective. We may think, how on earth can we do it? How on earth can we bring reconciliation? Cross-centered living. Knowing that that is the place and the place alone, that we have been reconciled to God. Let me ask that question. Have you been reconciled to God? Do you know that for sure? Do you know that if you stood before God, you would be right before him, that you have a right relationship with God? It's a very important question to ask. The Bible says you can be reconciled to God through trust in Jesus Christ. I love if you're not a follower of Jesus here to think about that this morning. Have you been reconciled to God? So guys, we need to engage with politics through the lens of the cross because God intended to bring reconciliation and peace to all things through his son Jesus. Inevitably, there's so much more that I could say (laughs) or may have wanted to say, um, but I really want us to pray. God cares about politics because the earth is his and everything in it, including all the people in it. I want to encourage us to engage with it, with politics. And I believe there will be people here that feel called to it. You may already be working in the civil service or engaged in local politics. I believe it's time for more and more people to get actively involved. But we must do so prayerfully, with humility, seeking the kingdom of God first, and being cross-centered in all that we do. Why don't we pray together?
band can come up. Is that okay? Can we stand? Is that, is that okay?